Women serving time in prison have value and deserve respect and dignity during their periods. Stains on clothes seep into self-esteem and serve as an indelible reminder of one's powerlessness in prison. Teresa, your story. Indeed, Janet, as you've said, periods can turn a woman's into a hormone-charged hell when the imprisoned women don't have access to affordable menstrual products and facilities don't enforce humane policies. It was a nightmare getting my first period when I landed at Langata Women Maximum Prison to serve a one-year sentence and I was accompanied by my daughter. My freedom had been taken away and here I was dependent on others for something as intimate as period supplies. This made it the absolute worst time of the month in prison, having to queue or to record the last time I got the sanitary towels and to have to explain and sometimes to be checked whether indeed I needed and deserved to get that sanitary towel. First of all, there's a lot of scarcity of clothing behind bars. You come in with a panty you wore while going to court. It's not like you packed your clothes, a change of clothes uh, when you were going to court. You're hopeful you'll get justice and you're hopeful you'll go home and then walk into those prisons and you only have this one panty and you're given one or at max two prison uniforms to change. And that entire period experience was just so difficult for me um, and not sanitary in any way as even taking a bath, even thinking about disposing of the used sanitary towels. Those are luxuries and you don't have that in your cell. Receiving my monthly periods was more than traumatizing, I must say, and this was not just for me. It was for the many women that I met behind bars. It was in prison that I learned, unfortunately, that one could use mattresses, cut pieces of mattresses to use in place of the sanitary towel because most of these women are having such long sentences, barely have people coming to visit them. So she has no panty, she has no sanitary towel. And it's such a dehumanizing time while you're behind bars to receive your period. Access to toilets. You know, there was just one toilet that we would share between 60 to 100 women. There's no changing space or changing quarter. So one thing I had to give up very quickly and easily was my privacy. You're changing in front of everyone. For those who don't have a panty to change, they've got to share with a friend. Um, just so painful, so, so painful. Memories that continue to traumatize me to date uh, post my time in prison. No access to clean water, you know, to take a bath whenever it is you want to. So you're constantly feeling dirty. And it's not just that, but it's also other dignity essentials. Soap, so scarce in prisons. Um, I'd say my first time to receive my periods in prison took away my dignity. Wow. I, how are you, how are you doing, Teresa? You just talked about the fact that, no doubt, that's something that continues to live with you, the trauma. I think one thing that's really powerful about you is how you've then created this platform that has been able to change the lives of so many. But I want to find out about how you feel, having just told that story, um, and whether or not you feel that there'll ever be a time 
that it won't be accompanied by trauma. You know, Janet, it's unfortunate, I must say, that I underestimated the trauma that I experienced through that entire period of being arrested. You know, um, our criminal justice system is very heavily built. The infrastructure is very heavily male-dominated. So from the prison cell, um, not having access to essentials uh, that a woman needs, it's a cell that's, you know, used by men. And as a woman, where do you get access to the essentials you need? And that trauma continues to then serving your sentence in prisons that, again, the infrastructure is very male-dominated as well. Um, not, to, not to get into the details of what the prison experience is like. Post-imprisonment, yes, as you say, it's been such a privilege to create this platform serving hundreds of women and offering them dignity, hope, confidence to rebuild their lives and create awareness and to give them second chances and all that. Bringing in corporates and, you know, it's, it's a successful story. But unfortunately, the trauma lives on. The trauma takes years on end to heal. You're so broken on the inside. Um... The memories, it, it just keeps coming out. It, it, you, 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 you kind of feel, I wish I would get inside my body and just clean all the dirt and just come out clean as I was prior going to that system, but that's not possible. We've got to go through the process of healing and it takes such a long time. And then as a mother who was imprisoned with her daughter, the ripple effect continues. She's a preteen now and that trauma of having to spend her first year in prison um, in this world, and then the, 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 the trauma of growing up as a child of an ex-convict and the stigma that comes with that. It's, 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 it's also bungled up, and I think we underestimate what women and young girls go through because, you know, we're talking about me and the women who are adults, but there are all these young girls who are growing up behind bars, then there are these teenage girls who are growing up and developing within the juvenile justice system. So it's such a traumatic uh, space, Janet, and uh, I'm, I'm still searching healing. I'm still in search of my healing. Yeah. I'm, I'm sending you so much positivity. Thank you for allowing yourself to come on this space and share your truth and share your story in such a profound way. I've seen you speak in front of the world, by the way. For those who don't know, Teresa is like a global activist and advocate in many ways and we applaud you but I also want to completely validate that I, I can't imagine that kind of trauma and I'm really sending you so much positivity on your journey to healing and also lauding you for using that as a space to bring healing to other women um, and so you you, you you started thank you you mm -hmm. started clean start which is a very fitting name that was no doubt born out of your experience Tell us about how the platform, in, for now specifically, is being used to especially address menstrual justice behind bars. And uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so Clean Start, as the name suggests, is to give ourselves, women, girls, and our children who've been impacted by the criminal justice system a clean start after all the shame, embarrassment, and very traumatizing experience within the prison and uh, correctional institutions. And, you know, overcoming the stigma uh, as an ex-con once you leave prison. And just like I have said, there's a lot of scarcity in this space. So a lot of the women and these girls, A, do not have the men menstrual hygiene products. That's one. 
And then secondly, because they don't have that because either it's not budgeted for or the budget is not enough because the correctional institution is a space that's chronically underfunded and not just in Kenya, it's globally. They're thinking about food and, you know, the basic essentials. So when you look at menstrual health products, it's scarce. It's scarce to come Even by. now? Yes. You know, uh, we, we could do better. There's, mm. There has been some improvement, and especially with facilities that are in the urban settings, but we could do better uh, to make sure that all are well-resourced in that area. Um, and then there is the menstrual health uh, education. You know, I was so shocked to find that, you know, some of the girls, you'll take the sanitary towels and they'll wear two or three. Uh, they, they either do not know how to use the sanitary towel um, or they're afraid, you know, that the, the shame that will come with staining the dress, because as I said, you do not have a change of clothes. It's, it's you know, it's not like home where you'll go and just decide, oh, I've stained this dress, let me pick another one. You've got numbered uniform, maybe one or two, so you can afford to stain it. Um, and then, then there's the genuine not knowing how to use... Um, the, the, the menstrual hygiene products or how to go about the hygiene. Sometimes water is scarce, so just how do you clean yourself and all that. So those are some of the challenges and the issues um, we see on a regular basis. And using the Clean Start platform, we now advocate for the provision of the education and the products, but also empowering the women and the girls to know that this is not a, a time to be ashamed or to feel sorry or to feel, you know, why, why is this happening? No, you're already dealing with so much stress. This this should be less stressful. And then, um, you know, your freedom has been taken away. Your dignity has been. You've been. You're you're really broken. Um, could we use this time to empower you, the feminine side of you as a woman? This is the life giving side of you as a woman. So. A lot of lessons going on. We've partnered with lots of corporate organizations. We recently just did a visit with Diamond Trust Bank a Foundation to Kamai Girls Bostol, the only institution that holds teenage girls who are impacted by the criminal justice system. And we offered um, the products and education and just empowering these girls. We really need to do so much more. And that's what this platform is about. I love that because it's a combination of advocacy and impact. Yeah. Um, and now you're Pan-African. Yes. How different is the Pan-African or outside Kenya correctional uh, system to Kenya? And what inspired you to go Pan-African? First and foremost, I must say we're so excited to reach out to our other sisters and young girls in other African countries. So Malawi has opened their doors, Liberia, Uganda, Tanzania, South Africa. Our journey into these countries was motivated and inspired by our own sisters who were serving time here in Kenya, been through our programs, but their home countries are the other African countries. So when they relocate back to their countries and are repatriated um, back into their countries, they're like, you're only offering the services to the women, the reintegration services to women in, in Kenya, formerly imprisoned women in Kenya. How about us who've come back into our countries? And so we reached out and uh, that's how that journey has started. And we now have what we call the Coalition of Formerly Imprisoned Women in Africa. By interacting with our sisters in these other African countries, we've come to realize that, woo, Kenya has made um, 
some amazing strides forward. There's just so much more to do uh, in the Afri- in the other African countries, whether you look at it from the culture perspective, where these women during that time are considered it's either a taboo for them to meet other women or, you know, they're impure at that time. All that culture, you know, I see how much further Kenya has come, uh, even though we still have so much more to do in terms of policy legislation and budgeting for, for this need. Um, but, you know, we need to uh, carry along our other sisters in the other African countries. So it's exciting to reach out. It is exciting. And in many ways, even in previous episodes, I've said Kenya does pioneer a lot with in policies. Um, implementation is where there seems to be a huge gap. When we talk about recommendations, I know you've talked about one just now. You've talked about uh, the system being underfunded. What would be your biggest recommendation in terms of being able to overhaul this system to allow for there to be, again, specifically for the sake of this podcast, um, access to information, to products, to empathy? Empathy is probably a big one. You talked about the fact that, um, and maybe you can allude to it. What about the, the prison guards? And all of them, do they have an understanding of this issue enough to relate to the inmates? Or is there also a disconnect where they are perpetuating the stigma? So what kind of overall recommendation would you give for an overhaul from not just the inmate, but the the warden and, and people, the public, when the reintegration takes place? Okay, let me start with the warden side of things. So, and, and you know, the leadership within Kenya Prison Service and the larger state department of corrections. And I'll highlight the United Nations rules for the treatment of women prisoners and non-custodial measures for women offenders. And these are called the Bangkok rules. There are 70 rules that give guidance to policymakers, legislators, sentencing authorities, and prison staff to reduce the imprisonment of women and to meet the specific needs of women in case of imprisonment. And what these rules um, cater for are things such as admission procedures, healthcare, humane treatment, and so on. And so um, I'll touch on the admission procedures and the healthcare bit of it, yes, and part of the humane treatment. I strongly believe that when a woman is being admitted into prison, she should be given a pack, a dignity pack, so to speak, that has had dignity essential products. Um, The panty, she'll need a change. She only came with what she's wearing from court. She'll need the sanitary towels, so a pack or two, Um, and other essentials such as soap, a bathing cloth, and I would recommend that this is done in all the 43 women prisons here in Kenya, but not just in Kenya, in all women prisons in Africa and globally as well, because this is a global issue, it's a global need. If a woman is being admitted into prison, this is a natural need that she'll have every single month. So as opposed to her wondering, oh my goodness, my time has come. Where do I find an extra panty? Where can I borrow um, a sanitary towel? This should be part of the admission uh, procedures. So that's the first uh, recommendation for the, for, for, the, for, for the establishment, the correctional institutions. And so this should be budgeted for, from Treasury um, and the State Department of Corrections. When it comes to the public, Um, in our society at large. First, let's not turn a blind eye to the fact that we've criminalized poverty. 
And what I mean by that is that if you go into our prisons, the people you will find are the poor, the vulnerable, and the marginalized. That's the reality. We cannot wish it away or pretend and continue to have a blind eye to who's in our prisons. It's the mama mboga who was trying to sell some of her produce and didn't have a license. In Kenya, we have what we call the Kamata Kamata Friday. Um, and let's be honest, you know, if the city council are trying to meet a particular threshold uh, of, the co of their collections, then if they've not met that, then if you're idling or, you know, you're prostituting or whatever it is you're doing, then you'll be arrested and you'll end up being imprisoned uh, and in prisons you won't find the rich or people with means they've built themselves out so i'm in prison i couldn't afford 500 bob or a thousand bob bill how am i going to afford a hundred bob to buy sanitary towels i was trying to make ends meet so here i am now in prison i do not work i don't have an income how exactly am i meant to cater for that time when it when it's end month. Kenya prisons have what we call the open door policy and they highly, highly depend and welcome faith-based organizations, corporates, individuals to come in and supplement by providing these essentials for the women especially. So I'd recommend if you are close to a woman prisons anywhere near you or you've never thought about women in prisons or thought about girls in the juvenile justice system. We've got Kamai Bostol, we've got Degoretti Rehab School, Kerigiti Rehab School. There are all these rehabilitation schools where we've got young girls, teenage girls, um, under the juvenile justice system who need the panties, who need the sanitary towels. As you say, Janet, it's the empathy. It's putting yourself in the shoes of someone whose dignity depends on someone who's able to just extend that love by providing these necessary um, products. So let's think about it, let's act, and let's do something. Because as we sit here and have this podcast, there's a menstruating woman, there's a menstruating girl in one of the correctional institutions, and they do not have those facilities or those products. Let's provide for those. Um, it's not their wrongdoing that they are menstruating. It's a need that we can't put a blind eye to. Let's provide towards it, yeah. Thank you. You know, with all the other episodes, not that I'll include this, I've had follow-up, I'm like, Teresa's good. I literally don't have anything else to add. You've captured the need, the gap, the recommendation, the platform. You've captured everything in a way that I feel you've spoken by speaking for you, you've spoken for thousands of others. Mm -hmm. And so I really want to appreciate you for that. And I knew it was important to have this conversation because it's about inclusion. Yes, It's about knowing that everybody who's menstruating deserves dignity, mm -hmm. no matter what their circumstance, no matter what they, where they are. And I think you've spoken a lot of truth to power with your own experience, but then lending your insights to the recommendations. And so when your cabinet secretary, don't forget us on my first time podcast and come back and say <laughs> it started, the journey started here. But thank you. I know that I'll be able to share on our social media platforms how people can support um, Clean Start. And I know that we'll see you again soon when you can tell us how 
the Pan-African experience has been. We'd love to have you on again to pick up where we left off. But for now, all I can say is thank you. Thank you very much, Janet, for all you're doing and for including the imprisoned women, girls, uh, who are in most cases unheard and unseen. Thank you very much.